You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. I turned the corner and guess what? It was on the porch. I walked up to him and I said, I don't know what's happening here and I don't know what you're going through, but I'm here to tell you Jesus loves you. The guy broke down. The guy broke down and started to cry. They were having a major crisis in the house. It's hard to do that. We're so afraid. But if the Lord sets it up, He's going to do two things. He's going to give you power to say what you need to say, and He's going to make the other person receptive to what you're saying. If you sense God leading you to share His love with someone else, don't hesitate. You may immediately worry whether you'll say the right words, but that's a needless fear. As Pastor Dave will explain in today's message, God will equip you to speak to their heart, even when you think your words are failing. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 12. As he begins his message, You Are the Man. Here we are in chapter 12. A little heavier, I guess, than chapter 11. 11 was a heavy chapter. And we're going to continue in this heavy scene now. And as we studied last week, David, the king of all Israel, David, the mighty, mighty warrior of God, David, a man after God's own heart, became lackadaisical in his walk. He became idle. He was tempted, and he fell hard into sin. I hate to see him, a man, David, fall like that. But it was a lesson to us all that we need to be careful. The mighty had fallen. When he should have been at war, he stayed home. When he should have been working on the business of the kingdom, he took a nap and then took a stroll on the rooftop. In his idleness, he was tempted by a woman taking a shower, a bath. Her name was Bathsheba, the wife of another man, Uriah. He called after her. He brought her up, and he sinned. She became pregnant. And in verse 5 of chapter 11, the only time we ever hear her speak, in chapter 5 of verse 11, the only time, a chapter, excuse me, verse 5 of chapter 11, the only thing we hear her say is, I am with child. It's the only time she speaks in the entire Bible. I am with child. He devised a plan to cover his sin. He brought her husband Uriah back from the front lines in hopes that he would indeed take the opportunity to go home, to sleep with his wife, to make love, and that would cover up the pregnancy that was happening. But Uriah was a much, much more noble man. What a man he was. He didn't want to do anything that the men on the front line couldn't do. So he declined David's offer, even after David got him drunk. Uriah felt loyalty to the troops, and he wouldn't go into his wife. He stayed away. 
So David devised yet another plan. You can see the downward slide that he's taking. His sin gets deeper and deeper as he orders his general Joab to see that Uriah is killed in battle. David sent Uriah back to the front lines, telling his general Joab to put Uriah at the very front of the, all the troops. And then when they advanced and the enemy advanced for them, the troops were supposed to pull back, leaving him exposed out there all alone. The plan worked, and Uriah was killed in battle. And soon afterwards, David took Bathsheba for his wife, and she bore him a son. David thought that Everything was fine. He wasn't going to be discovered. With Uriah dead, he was free to marry Bathsheba. I mean, who would know? Who would know? Well, we talked last week that, you know, the palace guards would know. The people that he sent to pick her up and bring her back to the palace would know. They would know. But David overlooked one major point. And although he thought he had everything covered, he forgot about one major person, the Lord. He forgot about the Lord. Our God is all-knowing. Our God is ever-present. Our God is all-powerful. And nothing is hidden from him. Nothing. So as we start, we look at verse 27b of, verse, of chapter 11. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. The thing that David had done displeased the Lord. What David did displeased the Lord. And though he may hide it from all men, he couldn't hide it from God. So as we now come into chapter 12, I looked at this and I divided the first 15 verses up. I divided them up into five, six categories. The first thing is Nathan's parable. The second thing is David's reaction. The third thing is the Lord's response to David. The fourth thing is the Lord's prophecy of chastisement. The fifth thing is David's confession. And finally, the great consequences. I divided them up that many. Who was Nathan? Nathan was David's prophet. He was David's friend. He was David's confidant. It was almost like he was David's priest, but he was his prophet. They shared many things together. They had a close tie. And the Lord used Nathan greatly in David's life. Remember, in chapter 7 of 2 Samuel, it was Nathan that had the privilege to go to David and take that beautiful blessing from the Lord. We call it the Davidic covenant. Nathan was the one that told David that the Lord would do this. Nathan got to carry that beautiful, beautiful thing. But what David did displeased the Lord. So the Lord spoke to Nathan, and now the Lord sends Nathan to David with a task. The prophet had to perform what I'm calling spiritual surgery. He had to perform spiritual surgery on the fallen king. He had to confront the king about his sins. This was by no means an easy task. By no means was this an easy task, and it could be very dangerous. I mean, after all, David was the king of all Israel, and a king had enormous power. And if the king didn't like the way you looked at him, or what you said to him, or the way you walked, or your horse's color, he could have you killed. 
and no one could stop him because he was king. Could be dangerous. But the Lord prepared Nathan's heart for this surgical procedure. He said, you're going to accomplish this. God directed Nathan to choose his words very carefully so that they would remind David of what he said and what he had done. I found this to be very interesting. That God always seems to send a friend to talk to you about a sin. Why do you think that is? I think you'd be more receptive to a friend or a brother who comes to talk to you about that. I think you're more receptive to someone you might respect to come and talk to you about that. You might listen to them from your heart. I don't know. But on the other hand, if, you're, if you are the one being sent and your heart is not filled with compassion for the person that you're about to correct, it's probably not your responsibility for the correction. I mean, if you have, if you are really ready to, no, you're not the one that he called. I love what John Corson said in his commentary. I love this, quote, I have no right to point out the dirt on someone else's feet unless I am willing to wash those feet myself, unquote. Wow. I love that. Nathan was such a man. Nathan was the man that God had chosen for this job. And he was up to the task, so God sends him to David. Let's read verses 1 through 4 in 2 Samuel 12. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb which he had bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food, drank from his own cup, and lay in his bosom. It was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man, who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. This was the parable that Nathan gives to David. He has this parable. It consists of a poor man and a rich man. The poor, lamb, the poor man only has this little ewe lamb. It's his pet. He brought it into the family, and he cared for it. Imagine, I know a lot of us have pets. We care for our pets. We think they're the greatest things of the whole wide world. Mine kicks me out of bed. We, we love these pets. We love these things. We treat them like kids. We talk to them like kids. We talk to them like kids. We treat them like kids. They become part of the family. So this guy had a pet, this little lamb, and they were close. The rich man had anything he wanted, everything he wanted. He could buy everything. He had flocks and herds and all kinds of things. So this hungry traveler comes to his house. And in that culture, when somebody come to your house, the first thing you did was you washed his feet, and then they prepared a meal. They prepared a meal for the traveler. That was customary. That's called hospitality. That's what they did. So this guy looks around, and because he's so rich and stingy, he doesn't want to take from what he has. Instead, he looks over here, and he sees this little lamb of the poor man, and he says, that's what I want. And he took it, had it slaughtered, and prepared it. That's what's happening here. That's exactly what's happening here. And it's interesting to me that David was listening intently to this story, mentioning the stealing, the man stealing the little lamb. 
And in verses 5 and 6, we see how David responds. He responds in anger, almost cutting off the story. Look at verses 5 and 6. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man and said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die, and he shall restore fourfold for the lamb, because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Well, it's interesting that David did not show any response before this. Nothing seemed to ring a bell in his head. He couldn't make the connection. David becomes extremely angry. And when I look at this, I see it becomes a case of self-righteousness. It becomes a case of self-righteousness. And although David does quote the law correctly, the man, the poor man was entitled to a restoration of fourfold. There was no law that required the poor, the rich man to be killed. There was no law that required the poor man to be killed. So he was kind of acting out of the thing. David's anger, let's kill this guy. Let's get him. Who's he think he is? And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. My sin looks worse on you than it does on me. We tend to excuse our sin, and we become extremely critical of everybody else. And look at their sin. This comes from a conscience that is uneasy. A conscience which is non-repentant. Instead of forgiveness, which leads to restoration, we want our pound of flesh. That's what David wants. I want my pound of flesh. Kill this guy. Who does he think he is? One commentator I studied said this, quote, Is this why we have no gospel for believers who falls? It may be not because we are very holy, but because we are unholy, that we condemn the thing in another as we refuse to judge it in our own lives, unquote. Ouch. Several things immediately come to mind. Several things immediately come to mind. One of them we've just studied in chapter 8 of the Gospel of John, when Jesus had the girl, the woman, who was caught in the act of adultery, and they wanted to stone her. What was his response? Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And then, of course, Jesus speaking, Jesus speaking in Matthew when he says, remove the plank out of your eye before you take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now I always like to say, remove the railroad tie out of your eye before you remove the speck out of your brother's eye. Oh, how quickly we are to judge. We are so quick to judge. But Nathan had the boldness of the Holy Spirit because Nathan comes back at the king in verse 7a. You are the man. And you know the Spirit was with him to say that to the king. You are the man. And I laughed when I studied this because in today's culture, if you want to say something good about someone, you say, you're the man. Hey, you're the man, you know. It's not good this time when Nathan said, David, you the man. No, it's not good. Nathan was comparing David to the rich man. David was comparing David to the rich man who stole the little lamb from the poor man. And I admired Nathan's courage. 
I really admire his courage. God had given him a message to deliver, and he delivered it boldly. And I immediately went back to 1 Samuel when young Samuel was lying in bed, and the Lord wanted to speak to him, remember? And he kept on going into Eli and said, what? And Eli said, I think it's the Lord. The next time the Lord calls you, said, here I am. And he did that, and the Lord gave him a prophecy about Eli. He gave him a prophecy about Eli that wasn't good. And little Samuel had to go in, and Eli basically said, hey, man, I don't care what the prophecy is. If the Lord gave it to you, you've got to give it to me. And he gave him that prophecy, which basically talked about his sons and he dying. It's not easy to deliver the word of God into somebody's life. It's not easy when you are, have to carry that message. It's not even easy to say anything to someone else. I remember I came back from a retreat one time. I think I told this story Things start to blot in my head, and I can't think sometimes. Came back from a retreat, and we were upstairs, and the people downstairs, we had been witnessing to several times, but the Lord kept on impressing upon my heart. Go down and tell the guy Jesus loves you. Go down and tell that man Jesus loves you. And I would walk down the steps. We lived on the second floor in Ocean City. I'd walk down the steps, and I'd look out and go, well, he's not on the porch. I can't say anything to him, you know. And I was walking around, and I was, so I was up there, and I was praying about it. And finally, the Lord impressed upon me so hard to go down and tell that man that Jesus loves him. I went down the stairs, and I said, okay, Lord, I'll only tell him that you love him if he's on the porch. I put a fleece out there. I turned the corner, and guess what? It was on the porch. I walked up to him, and I said, I don't know what's happening here, and I don't know what you're going through, but I'm here to tell you Jesus loves you. The guy broke down. The guy broke down and started to cry. They were having a major crisis in the house. It's hard to do that. We're so afraid. But if the Lord sets it up, he's going to do two things. He's going to give you power to say what you need to say, and he's going to make the other person receptive to what you're saying. He's going to set that up for you. And that's what the Lord does. And I see that happening here. Nathan is going to the king. And he's got to tell the king, you're the man. You are the man. You're the one that did this. My gosh. I see here the spirit at work in Nathan's heart, giving him words of wisdom, words of knowledge, giving Nathan boldness. In Acts 4, they prayed and prayed and prayed, and they were hit with boldness. They prayed for boldness from the Lord. That's one of the things we can expect from the Holy Spirit, boldness to be witnesses of him, of Jesus Christ, it says. And you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It's a boldness that we get, only by the Holy Spirit. I see that in Nathan. Nathan used the sword of the Spirit to cut David's heart to the quick, to do major surgery in David's heart. It was like holding up a mirror to David and said, look in this mirror, David, you're the man. Look in this mirror. Have you ever looked in a mirror? Have you ever looked in a mirror and see yourself back that way? That way? I have. I debated whether I was going to tell you this story tonight, but I really think I need to tell you this story. When B first went back to the Lord, I was not saved. I was a crazy heathen. And one thing I loved to do, she would go to Bible study, and I would go to Atlantic City and gamble. She would go to Bible study, and I would go to Atlantic City and Gamble. I knew how long she was gone, so I would go over to Atlantic City. We lived in Ocean City. Atlantic City was just a hop away. And I was a gambler, and I loved to gamble. And I was gambling all the time. But it got so bad that I would walk around when I didn't have any money. I would walk around, and I would do the um, slot machine swipe. I'd put my hand in the slot machine to see if there was an extra quarter lying around. Remember when we were kids, we'd run to the phone booth and put our fingers in the slot to see if money was there? 
Well, I was doing that to the slot machines, and I do that, and I do that, and I do that. Well, the Lord was working on my heart. Little did I know that Beatrice was praying for me with the whole group over in Ocean City, and they were praying for me. Little did I know that every time I went to sleep, she put her hand on me and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. Little did I know the Lord was working my heart. And then it hit me one day. I was in the Tropicana. I'll never forget it. I was in the Tropicana, and I don't know what possessed me, but I was looking for a quarter, and I was on my hands and knees crawling along the casino floor by the slot machines, looking for a stupid quarter that I could put in a slot machine. And I looked up. There was a mirror right there. I went, <gasps> The Lord was working on my heart. Now, why did I tell you that? I didn't tell you that for you to go, wow. I told you that because look at God's grace. Look at God's mercy. Look what God has done. Look what God has done, because I am no more a sinner than you. We are all sinners saved by grace. We are all sinners saved by God's grace. Oh, how we need his grace. How we need his love. How we need his mercy. We all had a point where we started, and we all had a point where we came to the Lord. I wish I could have told you that was the point, but that began it. That was what began the whole snowball rowing. I saw myself in the mirror. This is what Nathan's doing. Nathan's taking a mirror to David and said, look in this mirror, David. You're the man. And David looked in that mirror, and he saw something. He went, oh, my. He understood. David understood what happened. David understood the entire parable. It came to him. I'm sure the Spirit of the Lord showed him. This must have been a really sobering point. This must have really been a sobering point for David. Can you imagine him sitting there, and all of a sudden he hears the gavel? Guilty. Oh, David. You know, when we truly examine our own lives, and when we see ourselves in God's mirror, when we see ourselves in God's light, when we see ourselves the way God sees us, man, that's a humbling place to be. That's a humbling place to be when you see yourself as God sees you. When you see yourself, the disgusting you in my heart, the heart is the deceitful thing. It's wicked, deceitfully. Who can know it? God knows it. God knows it. When we come to that realization that we who are guilty, that we are nothing more than sinners, we need the grace that God provides. We need that grace. We need that grace. And if you look at anybody, like this rich man looked at this poor man, if you look at anybody and put yourself above them, you need God's grace bad. We're all equal in the eyes of the Lord. We are all equal in the eyes of the Lord. So Nathan now has David's attention. Oh, David wants to listen now because now he's maybe starting to break a sweat. He's like, okay, Nathan's going to proceed with the surgery on David's heart. And the Lord continues to give him things to say. Let's read 7b down to 9. I'll read the whole thing of 7. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord of Israel. Uh-oh. Here it comes, David. The prophet is saying, thus says the Lord of Israel, and David knows this is coming directly from God himself. This is coming directly from our Lord, and he better listen tight. And listen to what the Lord says through Nathan. I, not Nathan, this is the Lord speaking. I appointed, anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if it had been too little, I would have also given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and you have taken his wife to be your wife and you have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. 
Wow. The book of 2 Samuel is a continuation of David's journey to the throne promised him years before. It follows his life and relationship with God, with his family, and with the people entrusted to his leadership. David has much to teach you, and we encourage you to continue studying this Old Testament book. If you missed any part of today's teaching on Assure Hope, or if you'd like to listen to additional teachings from Pastor Dave, visit AssureHopeRadio.com today. Maybe today, as you were listening, you found you have some questions about faith, and maybe even about salvation. We'd be happy to talk with you and provide some resources to answer your questions and start you on a journey that will change your life for the better. Give us a call. Our number is 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. And while you're on our website, visit the page How to Be Saved to read all about the plan of salvation God set up long ago. We'd love to meet you, too. If you're in the area, join us this weekend at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. You can find directions and more information at AssureHopeRadio.com. We'd love to connect with you on Facebook, too. Just follow the link on our page to follow us. We're coming to an end of our time with you today. We're so glad you took the time to study God's Word today with Pastor Dave, and we hope you'll join us next time as we explore deeper into the book of 2 Samuel, right here on Assure Hope.